Froggy Wednesday, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. We're continuing our Sunbelt in Review series today with episode five. We'll be taking a look at South Alabama's record-breaking season in Mobile. We hope that you've been able to catch the last couple of episodes in our Sunbelt in Review series where we took a look at the Sunbelt Runner-up, Coastal Carolina shot to clears with the help of ABC 15's Brandon Dunn. And we also reviewed the first FBS season for the Kings of the East, the James Madison Dukes, with the expert insight of Daily News record reporter Shane Metlin. If you missed those episodes, you can find them by clicking the link in our Twitter bio or by visiting Apple or Spotify in the coming days. You'll want to make sure you check out those episodes. Over the next couple weeks, we'll be continuing to dive into each Sunbelt School's 2022 season with the experts who cover these teams on the ground on a daily basis. Today, we'll be talking about the 10-3 and South Alabama Jaguars who finished with an FBS program record 10 wins while appearing in their third bowl game since joining the FBS in 2012. The team also set numerous individual and team records in just the second season under head coach Kane Womack. Can't express how excited I am to have these interviews and talk to different people that were on campuses for these teams off seasons and in the season covering them. And everyone knows that I was very up on South Alabama. So I was very excited to talk about this team with someone who knew them very closely and someone who maybe I was a little bit more higher on this team heading into the season than they were. So it was great to hear the perspective of our guest and how their journey really looked this entire season. On this episode, we're excited to welcome Alabama.com reporter Craig Stevenson, who covers the team on the ground in Mobile to the Frarian Smith podcast to break down, Caden, a season that you were really excited about from the start to toot your horn a little bit, but South Alabama finishing with a historic season. Kane, tell our listeners a little bit more about what they will hear on today's episode from Craig. It was great talking to Craig and just getting his perspective on Kane Walmack, how he shifted the culture at South Alabama, how their transfer portal guys like LaDamian Webb, like a Carter Bradley were able to make such an immediate impact and how this team really has a great opportunity to re-up and reload and have another great season of success. So let's get to our interview with the one and only Craig Stevenson. Really excited to have Craig Stevenson on the podcast. He covers South Alabama for Alabama.com. Craig, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to join us today. Oh, happy to, have, happy to be on. Well, we're going to jump right in. This was a fantastic football season for South Alabama. This was a team that was 5-7 and seven a season ago under Kane Womack in his first year, uh, which could have been different with some overtime losses, one-score losses last season. This year, though, they're 10-3 and three with a program record for wins at the FBS level. At what point did you start thinking this team could be destined for a big season? Yeah, that's a good question. I thought they would be better. I didn't think that I didn't see 10 wins, but I guess when they went out to UCLA and very nearly won that game, probably should have won that game, you know, one of the uh, worst fake uh, field goal calls in college football history, which which Kane Womack freely admitted after the game he shouldn't have done. But I think once they hung with a team that was, you know, nationally ranked and you know wound up with having a really good power five season. I thought, well, you know, surely if they can do that with UCLA, there's nobody in the Sun Belt that should, uh, you know, they shouldn't be able to handle or at least hang with. And another game this season that was both big in the moment and ended up being big throughout the course of the season when you look at how things ended was that week eight South Alabama hosting Troy rivalry game that ended up deciding ultimately who would be in the Sunbelt title. LaDamian Webb in that game looked a little bit limited. We might be looking too much into this, but do you think 
Was he hurt in that game? Was he a little injured? And do you think a healthy LaDamian Webb would have swung things in favor of South Alabama over Troy in that game? There's no question he was hurt. Uh, He got banged up uh, early the previous week. It it was kind of an oblique rib injury. He kind of got pulled down very early in the game, like his second or third carry. Uh, And he was definitely not healthy. Uh, You know, probably not, wasn't really fully healthy until they played Georgia Southern a couple of weeks later. But I would say, you know, would he have made a difference? That's a good question. Troy's defense is really good. South Alabama still had some opportunities. You know, they had three deep passes, one of which was called back by holding, one of that was overturned on a really questionable replay overturn, and another where uh, Carter Bradley just overthrew the receiver. So if they hit any one of those three, they probably win. But I, I don't look at that game too much as – you know, South Alabama should have won. I, I They really got outplayed by Troy in that game. But, yeah, healthy with Damian Webb probably makes a little bit of a difference. But, you know, I, I don't know that South Alabama necessarily deserved to win the way they played. I, I will say that it's a shame that that game was in the middle of the season and instead of the end because you just think about it, you know, if they were both, uh, you know, heading into that game, if it was in late November and they were playing for the Sun Belt West, that would have been such a big deal. But, yeah, after Troy won, and kept winning, there was, it, it really took a lot of the drama out of it. Craig, I love how you just answered that question because Caden was smiling all season long. We've had this debate over LaDamian Webb in that game, and I think you just answered it the way he would answer it. He felt like after Troy lost that game to App State, they and then they started to get on the roll, they were almost destined to get to that Sunbelt title game and that he felt like that game against South Alabama was one that they were destined to win. Um, let's talk about after that loss, though. The Jags would go on to record five straight wins, including two road wins against teams that were bowl eligible in Southern Miss and Georgia Southern. But in the bowl game, they just weren't able to handle Austin Reed in Western Kentucky. How disappointed was this team about how the season came to an end in New Orleans? Oh, yeah, no question. But, you know, you hate it when you look at it from 30,000 feet, you can't be disappointed in the season because, you know, they did double their win total. They did get into a bowl game for the first time in six years and they, they did a lot of great things, but yeah, it's always disappointing when you lose your bowl game, especially when it's in that fashion. I mean, essentially that game was over, you know, in the middle of the first quarter because they just had no answers, could not stop Western Kentucky. And the, the big answers are why. And, you know, to be honest with you, I don't really know why, but for whatever reason, they were having trouble getting the defensive calls in. Western Kentucky was snapping the ball when you still had DBs and linebackers looking to the sideline to get the call, and they were just totally out of position. That's why you saw Western Kentucky receivers running wide open, you know, 10 and 20 yards down the field. Um, yeah, they, they had trouble with tempo teams a little bit throughout the season. They got off to, a uh, you know, Georgia Southern, which obviously is coached by the brother of the Western Kentucky coach. They got off to a slow start against them and were able to come back. Uh, but they didn't get down as big in that game as they did against Western Kentucky. You know, they were down two scores instead of three or four. And uh, But once things got rolling for Western Kentucky, like I said, that game was essentially over by the by the second quarter. And that's a disappointment. But I don't know that it takes everything away from the season. They really accomplished quite a bit this year. Definitely have a lot to be a proud of and what they accomplished this year. I know I've personally played against that Western Kentucky team and have felt their wrath. So there's definitely no shame in losing to those guys the way you guys did down at South Alabama. But let's talk about this team. And you can't really talk about this team without talking about Kane Walmack, who was a part of this coaching staff in 2016 as the defensive coordinator, the linebackers coach. He had a stint with Indiana before he returns in 2021. Between that time period, what would you say the biggest difference you've seen in him as a coach from 2016 to his return now? Yeah, you know, he was, he's really young, first of all. I mean, he's just now 
was he 35? He was 33 when he got the job. Um, and, you know, he was here as defensive coordinator, was the youngest defensive coordinator in the country, one of the youngest coordinators, period. Um, and he did apply for the job when it came open the last time after Steve Campbell was fired, or excuse me, after Joey Jones was fired and they hired Steve Campbell. Uh, didn't get it and then went off to Indiana. I, I think just, you know, coaching, one, coaching at a big-time Big Ten level, and, you know, Indiana had a great season his uh, last year there. Uh, when they contended for the for the Big Ten West title, and then, um, you know, just be and, and recruiting at that level, I think was a huge difference. And I think that, you know, you that was the criticism of the previous staff under Steve Campbell is they just didn't really recruit well at the FBS level. But I think Kane Womack has uh, what he learned uh, in the Big Ten has served him well since he got back here. And you know, to be honest with you, they've. Uh, Obviously, they've been able to take advantage of the transfer portal like a lot of places have. And that's one thing that they do have going for them here is, uh, you know, Mobile's a pretty talent-rich area. And South Alabama doesn't sign all the guys that come out of here, obviously. You, get, you send guys to the SEC and the ACC and so on. But, you know, two, three years later when those guys are either not playing or feeling a little homesick, hey, come on back to South Alabama. And they've been able to do that with a lot of guys. James Jackson, the starting centers from very near here in Mississippi. Uh, DJ Thomas Jones, a tight end. Uh, is a Mobile area guy, uh, you know, LaDamian Webb's from the state, not really from this part of the state, but, um, you know, so they've been able to do pretty well uh, with that sort of thing. Hey, we even heard that there were some rumors that maybe they tried that with Carlton Marshall before the season, but uh, we won't get into that too deep. Uh, I wouldn't but, doubt it. <laughs> but, you know, we have to talk about Carter Bradley. He's one of those guys that they landed through the transfer portal. He was a huge addition to this team in the offseason coming from Toledo, uh, he went on to have arguably one of the best quarterback seasons in South Alabama history. Uh, he battled for that starting job in the spring and into fall camp. When did you know that he was the guy for this team and that he was destined to have the type of season that he ended up having? Well, it's a complicated, I mean, it's not really a complicated question, but there are two parts to it. One, first time I saw him throw the ball, I thought, well, he's going to be the starter. You know, he, he just really legitimately has an NFL arm. I'm not saying he's going to play in the NFL, but he has an NFL level arm strength. And the guys that were here, uh, you know, Desmond Trotter uh, is smart and well-liked and, and you know, uh, great teammate as he is. He just didn't have that kind of arm. But it was interesting because in the spring and even a little bit into fall camp, Bradley didn't really outperform Trotter in the scrimmages, um, you know, uh, in terms of just efficiency and, and, you know, making the throws, accurate throws and all that kind of stuff. You know, he would try to throw it 100 miles an hour to a back a back, uh, back that was five yards away, and it didn't always work. But he's a gamer. I mean, once he got into games, you could tell this is the le a legit guy. And Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's arguable at all. I think he did have the best season in South Alabama uh, quarterback history. It's not, not a very high bar. You know, they hadn't had a whole lot of, you know, not a long history and then haven't had a ton of success throwing the ball until very recently. But uh, you got to give a lot of credit to Major Applewhite as well. One, I think his him being here attracts those kind of guys to come here. You know, I know he was a huge part of why Jake Bentley came here the previous year, and and Carter Bradley too. And uh, two, you know, Bradley being a coach's son, his his dad Gus is a NFL former NFL head coach now, the Colts defensive coordinator, and uh, really, uh, you know, you can tell he has that kind of acumen. 
Definitely. I think Gamer is one of the best ways to describe Carter, especially when you look at some of the stuff in those fourth quarter comebacks he led at the end of the year. But another big gamer that we've already mentioned his name on this podcast is LaDamian Webb. Just another huge addition to the team. He becomes the first thousand yard rusher since Trey Minter in 2019. We know how important it is to this team and this offense, but how big was it to have him decide to come back? There's the transfer portal, there's the NFL, obviously, but him making that verbal commitment to coming back and spending another year at South Alabama. How big is that for the team? Yeah, for sure, huge. And again, uh, he's another one of those guys that when you saw him in in practice in the scrimmages, it's like, oh, he's the best back on the team. You know, the best back they've had in a while. He's not particularly fast, but he's just so tough and, uh, you know, hard to tackle and uh, just runs hard. Um, And yeah, he did decide after the season. I don't know that it was a transfer situation with him as much as it was, you know, maybe trying to take a chance at pro ball. He's been around a while. You know, he played two years of junior college ball. He was at Florida State for a while. Um, you know, so with running backs, obviously, you have kind of a shelf life. Once you start getting into your mid-20s, you maybe are not as uh, marketable as you once were. But, yeah, him coming back is going to be big. Uh, Braylon McReynolds, who was a freshman this year from the Mobile area, they really like him. Uh, he he took over when, when Webb was hurt late in the year and had some nice games, had a big game against Southern Miss. Um, but just having – you know, two of those guys, in addition to Marco Lee, who was a Virginia Tech transfer, who was their uh, short yardage guy most of the season. All three of those guys coming back is going to be big for this team. It really feels like that's going to be the story, and we'll get into that more later on in this episode. But there are so many players coming back for the South Alabama team next year. Uh, Craig, when you look at this defensive unit, they were quite literally the worst in the conference in 2018, but it's gotten better and better every season. They take that huge leap forward this year. From your perspective, what would you kind of attribute that leap defensively that this team took forward this season to? Well, I think part of it was one when Womack first got here, especially, and there were some left this year, but they were guys that had played in his style, his defensive style before. That were you know those six-year super seniors that were here last year were guys that he recruited when he was first here. Uh, but I do think that you know the previous staff did a good job. You know, one thing they did do well was was recruit and develop defensive linemen. So that's been a big part of their success. They were able to rotate you know eight to ten guys that were all pretty good this year, and it just gave them an outstanding base. Um, you know, and they didn't really have a ton of superstars. I think Darrell Luter is going to have a chance to play in the NFL. You know, the the cornerback, maybe a couple other guys down the line, but. It wasn't a, a star laden defense. It was more, you know, ton of depth. You know, Quint Wilfon, the inside linebacker, got hurt in week three and was out the rest of the year. But Trey Kaiser, uh, another junior college transfer, just came in and stepped right in. Uh, but you do have some guys that have, that have played at a high level. James Miller transferred from Indiana, played for Womack up there. Jalen Jordan was an old Miss transfer. Jamar Richardson, an old Miss transfer. So they had a lot of guys who had played a lot of football. But they also have developed guys that have been here before. Jaden Boyson was kind of a revelation. In addition to his brother, Devin, on the other side of, of the ball, those guys were, you know, had been here three years and had not made many much of an impact at all. But whatever has happened since Womack has been here, those guys have become arguably, I would say, you know, they're two of the top 10 players on the team. Definitely agree with that. And I can't talk about this South Alabama defense without talking about one of my favorite defensive players in the conference, and that's Yam Banks. He had an excellent season this year and really took a big leap. And he showed some promise the year before at that Husky position, but this year kind of took it to another level, kind of being regarded as one of the top defensive backs, if not the top defensive back in the conference. What's it been like watching his growth as a player? And have you seen any of those one-handed catches and one-handed interceptions like we saw in the bowl game at practice at any time throughout his career? 
that's the, the first time I ever remember seeing that. But yeah, he's an interesting guy because he was a he was recruited as a corner, uh, you know, kind of a big corner out of a, a out of the Jackson, Mississippi area. And he came in in his freshman year, just didn't look like he was going to be much of an impact guy at all. But when Womack came in, he kind of fits that nickel position they have. They call it the Husky, where it's kind of a you have to be a corner and a safety. And he's big, but he can also run. Uh, and he just was the perfect fit for that position. And he's really taken to it well. He does gamble a little bit. You know, there were a couple of plays in that Western Kentucky game. And we saw a couple of other games early in the year, Louisiana Monroe, I think. Where he would get burned, but yeah, he's a great has great ball skills, and um, yeah, he's a. I would expect him to be one of the front runners for you know maybe conference defensive player of the year going into next year. Yeah, I think that would be uh, really neat to see and would be huge for South Alabama. You touched on him a moment ago, but the voice and twins, Devin and Jaden, uh, they both had phenomenal seasons this year. One ends the season as the leading receiver; the other ends near the lead in terms of tackling. Could you tell us about the dynamic they bring to this team? And then do you ever see those two line up across from each other at practice? It used to happen a little bit more when when uh, Jaden was a corner. But since he's moved to safety, not as much. But yeah, when they first got here, their older brother Keon was here uh, originally. Those guys are you know twin brothers, and then Keon's a year older. Keon is now University of West Florida. But um, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, I still, I, I can't tell them apart if they're not together, you know, if you tell, if they're together, uh, I think Devin wears his hair a little bit different. So you can kind of tell, but they look, I mean, they, you talk about identical, they are definitely identical, but yeah, I mean, again, both of them, uh, you know, Devin was a guy that in the spring, you started to see really step forward. They were looking for a second receiver, uh, after Jalen Wayne and he definitely became that guy. Uh, Jaden was a guy that came in as a freshman when, you know, when talking to the previous staff who recruited those guys, Jaden was the real prize of the three. He's like, he is the best athlete, the best football player of the three. And I think he probably would have started, uh, at corner at some point his freshman year, but he hurt his knee and missed the entire season. And then they, then, uh, you know, he moved to safety under the present staff. And again, you know, Keith Gallman goes down in the preseason, uh, you know, three-year uh, returning starter with a torn pec, and he will be back next year, by the way. But, um, you know, they needed somebody at that, that that last level of the defense to be the guy, and Jaden Boyson definitely became that guy. And those brothers definitely had a big year, and the team had a big year as a whole. But let's talk a little bit more about next year and into the future. This team has an incredible opportunity to reload and run it back, and you do lose players like a Jalen Wayne, like a James Jackson, like a Daryl Luter. But you have the potential to bring back a lot of players too next season. What do you think the floor and ceiling of this team is next year, looking at how many guys they bring back versus how many might decide to leave? Yeah, I think of the starters in the bowl game, there's only four that are going to be gone. You mentioned those three, plus C.J. Rias is in the in the transfer portal, which is a little bit of a surprise. I mean, he's a guy that uh, you know was probably their best outside pass rusher, and I'm not sure what his opportunities are going to be in the transfer portal. We'll see where he winds up. But anyway, uh, they bring almost everybody back on both sides of the ball, uh, and you know they're going to here in the next few days. They probably should add a good number of guys out of the transfer portal. Division one guys that are going to be able to come in and help them. Uh, Reed Buys, who uh, has already committed from Mississippi State, I think he's the uh, the heir apparent at center to James Jackson. But um, they, uh, you know, the schedule is going to be a little bit tougher next week. We found out uh, earlier this week the the rotation. You know, last last year they got a very favorable draw schedule and you know, they got 
Georgia Southern, which was kind of which was a good but not great team uh, from the other side, and uh, and then they had who was the other one? I'm I'm drawing a blank here. Old Dominion, who obviously ended up being one of the the weaker teams in the league. But next year they get Marshall and James Madison, so that ramps it up a little bit. They have to go to Troy, uh, you know, which and they haven't beaten them anywhere in in six years, but. Um, I think this team is going to be in contention for the Sun Belt. I'll be interested to see how good Troy's going to be. You know, they lose a lot of uh, guys off that defensive front seven. Uh, but, you know, based on what they did this year, it's hard to – you can't count them out. I think Louisiana will be, uh, you know, improved. Um, you don't know what to expect out of Texas State, ULM, and, and uh, Arkansas State. So I think it's maybe a two- or three-team race. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they they win – fewer games, maybe eight or nine, but I do think they're going to be in contention for the Sun Belt Championship again. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting. And yes, you're right. South Alabama did not get any help in terms of the scheduling. I don't really think Troy did either. They've got to face South Alabama at home. They've got James Madison coming to town. So the West definitely got the short end of the stick in terms of scheduling this year. At least the top teams did. Uh, Craig, who are some freshmen or younger guys that maybe aren't being talked about a ton that, that we can expect to see some big things from next year? I know Caden and I have our eyes on Braylon McReynolds, who did play a decent amount this year. But who are some other guys outside of McReynolds? Yeah, I, you know, I'm interested to see what they do with that third receiver spot. J.J. Juan Townsend was a guy that has played a little bit here and there and uh, maybe the fastest receiver on the team. He's a guy that was recruited out of Eufaula High School in Alabama a couple of years ago, and it, but just has not seen the field a whole lot. Um, let's see. Uh I don't know if he's really a freshman. He's not really a freshman or a young guy, but he's a transfer that didn't play a ton. Nathan Rollins Cabange out of Oklahoma. Uh, high school basketball star. He's about six seven. He just looks different than most guys you're going to see, but just a really impressive looking athlete. And I think his second year in the defense, you're probably going to uh, start to see some some big things out of him. Ricky Fletcher at corner, uh, who was a true freshman last year, played a good bit, mostly on special teams. You know, they're losing uh, two of their top three cornerbacks. I think they did sign one Juco guy and probably will get at least one out of the portal. But I think Ricky Fletcher's got a really uh, bright future with this team. And bouncing off of that, you have a signing class that comes in now, a new group of fresh faces, and looks like a promising class. You signed a couple top 100 talents from the state. You mentioned earlier how important it was to get some of those talents from the state of Alabama. You also have an offensive lineman transfer portal commit and read buys from Mississippi State. Who are you most excited to see out of the signing class, out of the new faces that are going to be in the building, and maybe some some guys that the coaches are buzzing, are buzzing about and showing some excitement about? They really, really like Gio Lopez, the quarterback out of uh, the Huntsville area, uh, left-hander, really mobile guy. And when, since Womack has gotten here, they have wanted to get a dual-threat guy, RPO, you know, to where they can utilize the RPO game. And and Bradley can run a little bit, but not to to the level they really like. Bradley's got another year, but I think Gio Lopez is definitely the quarterback of the future. Uh, I do, uh, you know, I've heard some really good things about Anthony Eager, wide receiver out of Mobile's McGill Tulin High School. Great kick returner. Probably will make an immediate impact there. Uh, and then Trent Thomas, tight end out of Cottage Hill Christian, also here in Mobile. Um, 6'6, 225 uh, pounds. Great basketball player. They're, they're, he actually has a twin brother, Tyler, who is probably going to be a small college basketball player. Uh, and they are their father is their college their high school basketball coach. So a uh, great athletic family. I you know, I saw him actually I was at the South Alabama basketball game last night and saw him 
hanging out. He is a really impressive looking athlete. So those are those are three uh, right off the top of my head. Also, Adrian Griffin, um, who was at a Pleasant Grove High School in the Birmingham area, was committed to Troy as a defensive lineman for a long time. But uh, South was able to flip him, and they like him as an offensive lineman. He's only about 260 pounds, so he's going to have to get in the weight room and put on some, you know, some muscle. But, uh, you know, in terms of athleticism, they really like him as a potential uh, starter at, on the offensive line. Well, the one thing that I think has to be great for South Alabama fans to hear is it really sounds like Kane Womack is emphasized signing guys from inside the state of Alabama, particularly out of the city of Mobile. And I think that's great for the league. Um, you know, this team next season, Craig, they're going to open with Tulane, who was the group of five representative in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, we won't make you make a prediction for that game just yet, but how big of an opportunity do you foresee that being for the Jags to face essentially what is kind of the group of five champion to start the year next year? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. That game uh, came about because of during the COVID year, um, both teams had non-conference games canceled. They ended up picking up a game with Tulane, and they actually played them here that year, and this is part of that that series. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be on the Tulane campus. Obviously, Tulane has a ton coming back, although I think everybody was happy to see Ty J. Spears uh, declare for the NFL draft. He'll be here in Mobile in the Senior Bowl next month, and I uh, look forward to seeing him there. But, um, yeah, it's the, the, the shame of it is if South Alabama had won its bowl game and beaten Western Kentucky, you might have an opportunity to be ranked, you know, going into next year. And that could have been a potential, you know, either fringe of top 25 matchup or top 25 matchup. But yeah, un- unquestionably, it's a huge opportunity. If you can go over to Tulane and win that one to start the year, you have Oklahoma State in week two, uh, week three. They're a little wounded. You know, they've been really hit by the transfer portal. And, you know, in theory, I mean, if you can go out to UCLA and play them uh, to the to the wire, you can do that with Oklahoma State. So. Yeah, major opportunity for South early in the year. It, it's not an easy way to start the season, but I think it's uh, definitely going to build some excitement at the end of the year. I know on this podcast, we were advocates for getting South Alabama ranked, thought that they proved it, and they'll definitely have an opportunity to do that at the beginning of the next season, looking at their schedule. But last question for you, Craig. I mean, we have all this analysis we've talked about, what this team's bringing back in LaDamian Webb, in a Carter Bradley, what they're bringing in as a freshman class and a recruiting class, and also just ahead looking at their schedule. If you had a crystal ball, if you had to make your prediction, what do you think the South Alabama team looks like next year and how they sh- how the season shakes out for them? Yeah, I think uh, – I'm thinking about like this year. Um, you know, that Troy game obviously is going to be huge. Um, you know, again, maybe not 10 wins, but I would – be surprised if they're not a nine, eight, nine win team in contention uh, for the Sun Belt West and you know potentially the Sun Belt Championship. There's no reason they shouldn't be. Um, you know, the, I think that uh, the East uh, is definitely a tough division, but I don't know that the separation is as great as we were led to believe by heading into the season. And so, yeah, I, I think they're one of the top three or four teams in the Sun Belt Conference. There's no question about that. Yeah, I think you're 100% spot on. I don't think that there was as much separation um, between the East and the West as people thought. I think the bottom of the West might be weaker than the bottom of the East, but at the end of the day, the top teams seem to uh, match up pretty well. Well, Craig, really appreciate you taking some time and giving us some insight on South Alabama football. I know Caden and I have both appreciated uh, and enjoyed your coverage throughout the season and look forward to following along during the offseason. Fantastic. Thanks for having me.
It was a lot of fun talking with Craig Stevenson. He's one of the guys in the league that covers him, his team better than any other. Caden, I find it really interesting when you start to look ahead for South Alabama to next year. They'll be bringing back 18 of their 22 starters. Uh, this is a team that some people slept on this year. Obviously, you didn't, but some others did. And I think moving into next year, there's not going to be many people who will be sleeping on South Alabama. Yeah, on paper, no matter what the teams did last year, it's going to be hard to deny what South Alabama did last year and what they're bringing back as frontrunners of who could be the team that might be in the conference championship conversation. I was obviously up on this team, but I really couldn't have imagined them being a 10-win team until it really happened. And I think Craig would agree with that and didn't think this team would achieve that success. But I think that just speaks to what Kane Womack was able to do in such a short amount of time. And I think it's nothing but exciting times now if you're a guy who's a fan of South Alabama and now knows that, hey, maybe we're keeping some recruits in state as well. Maybe if someone's not going to Alabama or an Auburn, they're going to a South Alabama. So I think this future is going to be super bright for this program just based on what this season looked like. Hey, and as Craig said, they've already had some strong wins in the recruiting class, bringing in a couple of top talents from inside the state, some great transfers uh, from the Power 5 level. But, Caden, when you look at this South Alabama team, this first three weeks of the season could make or break this team. This is a team that very easily could come in as the preseason favorite to win the Sun Belt next year. But when you look at those first three weeks of the schedule, they go to Tulane as well as to Oklahoma State. You win those first three weeks, Caden, you're midway into the top 25 and one of the favorites to kind of win the group of five this coming year. If you don't, though, it becomes a tough road to rebound after those first three weeks. Yeah, we've talked in depth about the importance of preseason rankings and how that could be a big thing for this conference. And I don't think anyone's going to be putting South Alabama in their top 25 to start the season. But if they can do some damage and get some of those big wins secured in the beginning of the year, maybe they can find themselves there. And if they do find themselves there, we know it's a lot easier to stay there versus to try to get your way in. There's going to be hashtag South, hashtag rank South Alabama might be coming around if they have some success early on in the year. So very excited about their start of the season. If you look at all the schedules across the conference, I think they have the ability to do the most damage and make the most noise out of all the teams in the conference if you look at their schedule heading into the season. Hey, they're also going to get a guy like Keith Goldman back who missed this year due to injuries. Quentin Wilfon, who played parts of this year but then missed down the stretch. And in that bowl game, he was sorely missed that leadership and ability at the linebacker role. And Caden, I think the other great thing for South Alabama, if you look ahead and if you're a Jags fan, you're getting guys back at premium skill positions. You've got Carter Bradley coming back. He'll be more comfortable in that offense. LaDamian Webb, we saw what he did. He was arguably the second best running back in the league this year, trailing only Kalen Laybourne, who is graduating. And then you look out wide, you're bringing back Boyson, you're bringing back Colin Lacey. This is a team that is loaded at the skill positions. And if you're looking ahead to next season, there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, and I think the Keith Gallman addition to this defense is going to be huge elevating force for this defense. And I think we talked about it before. They're bringing back a lot of those key players in key positions at those premium spots that don't go on sale in this conference. You either have a star running back, you either have a star wide receiver, you either have a star running quarterback, or you don't. And I think the exciting thing about that is if you take the combination of their experience and their skill that they have at those positions and combine them with a recruiting class who, hey, maybe doesn't have to play. You get some talent in your building and you have time to develop them have them look at players like your leaders, like your guys who have produced for you last year. I think it's kind of a combination of a little dynasty I think they have on their hands if they can develop some of those guys based on the talent they have. I think when you look at some of the App State teams I played in in the past and you get that 
combination of senior older leadership who's very good and very experienced, combine that with a good recruiting class, that's when you get sustained success. And under Kane Walmack, it's hard to argue that he's capable of doing that in the next couple of years for this team. Hey, I definitely can't argue with that. The only th- point that I might be able to argue with is if they have another great season, start listening for calls for Kane Womack to make a leap to a bigger program. He's been that good over the last couple of years and certainly has deserved that recognition. Well, Caden, uh, for our listeners who haven't uh, joined us for any of these Sunbelt in review series, the one thing we've been doing at the end of every episode is handing out some end-of-the-year awards. We're going to recognize a freshman MVP. We'll look at the offensive and defensive side of the ball and hand out our top honors as well as a team MVP. Uh, The one note I did want to make, you can't double up on awards, and that made some of these a little bit more challenging. But, Caden, I'm going to let you go ahead and get started with uh, South Alabama's freshman MVP. Super excited about this freshman MVP. I think out of all of the freshman MVPs we'll talk about, aside from a Jared Brown at Coastal Carolina, I think Braylon McReynolds, the running back, is going to be our freshman MVP. And he didn't have a crazy statistical year, but I think he made the most of his opportunities when he had to. He had 326 yards on the team, was the second leading rusher. And I think he showed an ability especially in that Southern Miss game, to also be a threat out of the backfield. And I think in that game, he had 100 yards on the ground, 66 yards in the air as the backup running back. And I think next year, obviously, LaDamian Webb's coming back. But I think if you can use McReynolds in different ways in the passing game and his explosion in the in the return game as well, I just think he's going to end up and settle into his role as one of the better weapons on this team. And I'm really excited to see how they utilize him next season. Yeah, I think Braylon McReynolds could have a really big season as that second running back uh, to LaDamian Webb, uh, who will be coming back. But Caden, let's go ahead and hand out defensive MVP honors. And this is a guy that you've loved all season long. You've spent uh, probably the most time of a single player talking about him. Who's your defensive MVP? Have to give it to another than Yam, Yam Banks at the safety position. No one's surprised to hear that for me. He's a first-team all-conference selection, and the numbers speak for themselves. He has 50 tackles here this year. He ends the year with six interceptions, tied for first in the conference, 11 pass breakups with ties for third in the conference, which is very impressive at the safety position, and has five quarterback hurries, got a sack on the season. He stuffed the, he stacked the stuff sheet. There's no question – or <laughs> stuffed the stat sheet, tongue twister there. There's no question he did that this season, but I think if you watched him play, if you watched the way he was getting his interceptions, if you watched his tackles and his pass breakups, it's only more impressive. And he was, you could tell that he was a big force as far as leadership goes in this secondary, whether he was leading by example or leading his guys vocally, getting guys lined up at the safety position. So I had to give the defense an MVP to none other than Yam Banks. Hey, in your defense, he was tying up offensive players all year long as well. So it's completely acceptable to get tied up on your words when talking about Yam Banks. He was that good this year. Well, Caden, we'll move on to our offensive MVP. And this was a tough choice. And I can tell you between Carter Bradley and LaDamian Webb, those two guys were such important parts. Uh, But Caden, I had to go with Carter Bradley here because When you look at the pure numbers, this was the best quarterback season in South Alabama history. And as Craig mentioned in this interview, that isn't exactly a high bar, but Carter Bradley certainly elevated what to expect out of that position moving forward. If you're a South Alabama Jaguar fan, threw for over 3,300 yards, which was second in the Sunbelt Conference, had 28 total touchdowns, which actually, this surprised me, it actually led the Sunbelt Conference in terms of passing touchdowns. By the end of the year, he was that good. He displays NFL-level talent with his arm. Carter Bradley, Caden, had to be my offensive MVP. 
Yeah, and going to the season, I thought that when I looked at Carter's stats and what he was capable of and him being a former Elite 11 type quarterback, I thought his game would translate perfectly to the Sunbelt Conference and he definitely exceeded my expectations. And I think a real highlight and a true test of what he did this season was if you look at those last two games of the season, had go-ahead touchdown passes in the fourth quarter against a Southern Miss and Old Dominion team who maybe they shouldn't have even been in that game, quite frankly. But when it mattered most, Carter Bradley came up for that team big at the end of the season, at the end of the games, down the stretch, and was just a huge, consistent piece of their offense year, day in and day out for this team, really. Well, Caden, all we have left to name is our team MVP, and let me take you inside my mind a little bit as I pick these team MVPs. I look for guys that when they don't play, you can clearly see a difference in the offense or when they're injured, and LaDamian Webb is that guy. Caden, you and I have gone back and forth all year long about would he have made a difference if he was fully healthy against Troy. I think Craig um, answered that and kind of put that question to bed. But you saw when he played teams like Georgia Southern this year how much of a difference maker he was. You also saw in a bowl game like against Western Kentucky when they weren't able to get him involved how different this offense looked. LaDamian Webb rushes for 1,063 yards, 13 total touchdowns, which was second in the conference. He was one of four running backs this year with over 1,000 yards, and he was second in total touchdowns this year from the running back position. I had to give it to him because he was the true MVP, the most valuable player for South Alabama this year. Definitely agree with you, Noah. He's just one of the best weapons in the conference overall out of the backfield. Craig talked about it. He's not a burner. He's not a super fast guy, but he was one of the hardest guys to tackle in the conference this season. And every defensive unit had their hands full when he was healthy and he was playing. And I think you you talk about that Georgia Southern game. I think that really is the epitome of his season and him being the offensive MVP because this team was down in Statesboro, 31 to 17. And instead of trying to throw their way out of the game, they gave the ball to LaDamian Webb. He has three unanswered touchdowns to end the game. And I think that's the epitome of their season. He was their closer. He was their starter. He was their finisher, whatever you want to call it. He was big for this team when he was healthy. And I think him being healthy next year is going to be a premium and really going to set himself up to maybe be that offensive player of the year, that conference player of the year coming and returning next year. Well, South Alabama had an excellent season. They've got pieces coming back that could lead to a second great year, and we'll certainly keep an eye on that as we head into the offseason. Well, that will do it for another strong episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to Alabama.com reporter Craig Stevenson for joining us for today's conversation. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with the next episode in our Sunbelt in Review series where we'll highlight the 2022 season for the Southern Miss Golden Eagles on Friday, special guest Scott Watkins, who covers Southern Miss for the Sun-Herald, will stop by to provide an inside look at this year's team. Again, thanks for taking time to listen today. If you like what you heard on this episode of the Frary and Smith podcast, make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss another episode. And if you haven't already, consider leaving us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We love hearing what y'all think about the show. Finally, take a moment. Follow the show on Twitter at Prairie and Smith. For all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes, we'll continue to update that through the offseason. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.